Hello, and welcome to Historically Speaking, uncommon history with an unconventional pair. I'm Rebecca Robbins. And I'm Kim Kimmel. I'm a singer and actress. And I'm a retired history teacher. He was my history teacher in college. And now we've been married for 21 years. (laughs) Sometimes quirky, sometimes obscure. But this is the kind of history you actually want to remember. Hello, and welcome to Episode 9 of Historically Speaking Podcast. This episode is Sensational Marriages. Some marriages are pretty average, pretty standard, predictable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Others are maybe a little bit scandalous, but these that we have lined up today are fascinating. Yes, I think these are very interesting marriages uh, covering many centuries. We will start with um, the 6th century. Uh, We're going way back. We're going way back to Justinian and Theodora. Justinian was uh, the Eastern Roman emperor from 527 to 565. His uncle had previously been emperor. By the time Justinian came to the throne, the western half of the Roman Empire was gone. Uh, By the end of the 5th century, it was gone, and Justinian comes to the throne in 527. So how much... He's still ruler of a pretty big Oh, yes. It's a a fairly extensive area that he's ruling over uh, what is now Greece. It's just not what it once was. Uh, That's right. It was the eastern half. The the Roman Empire was divided into two halves uh, in the late 3rd century by Diocletian and... uh, for most of the time until the western half perished, uh, it had two emperors. Now you have only one emperor in Constantinople, Justinian. And a couple years before he became emperor, he married a woman named Theodora. Oh, he married her before he became emperor. Yes, yes. He married About her before. how old is he at this point? Do we know? He's a young man. He's not that old. Okay. Uh, and he's going to reign. He's going to reign for some 38 years. 38. That's a but pretty good Theodora... Has an interesting background. We're not quite sure of her background. There's a dispute about it. Uh, she seems to have been a prostitute. Oh, that's interesting. And an actress. The problem with all of this is that the historian Procopius wrote two different histories. Uh, one history is very flattering of Justinian and Theodora. Then he wrote a secret history. Uh, in which he really rips them apart, and this is where a lot of the uh, information we have about Theodora comes. And the question is, was Procopius telling the truth in the, the standard history time. or in the second history? Procopius was a contemporary of Justinian, died about the same time as Justinian did. Theodora was a very powerful empress. She was like almost co-ruler with Justinian. And uh, in fact, on occasion when Justinian lost his nerve, she didn't. Lost like, his nerve in sense of going to war? or Well, there were riots in 532 called the Nika riots, and he wanted to flee Constantinople, and she said, nope, we're going to stay here, and if we have to die here, that's... Wow, she kind of wore the pants of the family, it Well, sometimes like. it seems that she did. Uh, now, he was, uh, he was brilliant in his own right. Uh, he was responsible for the building of Hagia Sophia. He recaptured a good portion of the western half of the Roman Empire through very capable generals like Belisarius. Uh, all of Italy, uh, North Africa, parts of Spain, and so on. So by any historical perspective, he was a pretty successful 
Yes, it's probably his greatest success is his codification of Roman law, the Corpus Juris Civilis. Uh, but for Justinian's codification of that, much of Roman law would have been lost forever. And Roman law still forms... What would that have been replaced with? Who knows? But Roman law forms oh. the basis of the legal system of many, many countries on earth, including here in the United States, the state of Louisiana. Only in the state of Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. The other 49 states and the federal government rely upon English common law, but Louisiana, as they say down there, is based on the Napoleonic Code, which is based on uh, the Corpus Juris Civilis. That he preserved. Right, that he preserved. So he did many things, and she was a staunch supporter of her husband, and you did not mess with, with Theodora. I imagine that, one, everybody has political enemies when you're at that level, mm -hmm. but I'm sure there were a lot of behind-the-scenes whispering about her and... Yes, but it was done at the peril of one's life. Uh, I see. Yes. So it's sort of like, you may have this knowledge, but never speak of it. Right. In fact, people had to approach her face down, uh, laying flat, and kiss her feet. Oh, that extreme. Right. Uh, she was uh, imperious. She was brilliant. She was tough. Do you think she went a little far sometimes because she came from such humble background? So she had to prove... Could be. Could be. Uh, she died before Justinian. Her husband did. She died in 548. He would still reign for another uh, 15, 17 years. Did he remarry, do we know? Uh, not that I know of, no. Okay. That was maybe his true no. love. No. And, of course, there's a very famous depiction of her in Ravenna, Italy, um, a mosaic of Theodora. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a very famous mosaic. Uh, you see it uh, reproduced many times. This was, an, this was a very interesting marriage. And in very an unusual for the time. Yes, in an obscure century. Mm -hmm. Sixth century. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, let's move up in time a little bit. What do you say? Yeah, we're going to jump a lot here. We're going to go to uh, <laughs> the late 18th, early 19th century, uh, dealing with Andrew Jackson. Ah. Andrew Jackson, Andrew Jackson was born in 1767. He led a remarkable career. He was a U.S. senator. He was territorial governor of Florida. Eventually, he would become uh, president of the United States, and he married a woman named Rachel Donaldson, whom he loved dearly. He only married once, is that right? That's correct. Okay. So this was the love of his life. This was the love of his life, and she had previously been married to a man named Robards, and it was a pretty much a disastrous marriage. What makes this so interesting is that um, she and Andrew Jackson eloped in 1791 and got married. And she did so, and he did so, on the assumption that she had gotten a divorce from her first husband. Oh, so she wasn't widowed. No, no, this man was still living. And she just assumed that the divorce papers had been filed and so on. Well, they hadn't been. Oh, oopsie. There was some glitch somewhere, and I'm not sure well, we exactly where. We don't know where the glitch where. exactly happened, whether he didn't file or the lawyers didn't file or... Something. Somebody didn't do something somewhere. There was a screw up. Yep. So that was pretty scandalous. Yes, that was very scandalous. In fact, now, uh, I wonder how word of that got out. That's a good question. There must have been whispering somewhere. Uh, it, it did. Somebody it, must have been digging around to find that information out. Well, they had maybe to, a political enemy of his, of his. They had to remarry in 1794 because um, to make it legal, she was accused of bigamy and he of adultery. Oh goodness. It was a mess. Through no fault of their own. But here's here's what makes it all the more interesting. As Andrew Jackson becomes a famous general and a famous politician, 
This was used against him by his political enemies. This sensational marriage. Absolutely. And in fact... Even after the fact? Even once they figured out, oh, we have to get this divorce and remarry? Absolutely. In the the 1824 presidential election and 1828 presidential election, um, Rachel Donaldson was referred to as a bigamist and... um, and, Wow, she got raked over the coals. Oh, and Jackson hated hated this. He detested John Quincy Adams and John Quincy Adams's uh, supporters for bringing all this up. And in fact, what would happen is, uh, even though Jackson would lose the 1824 election, he would win the 1828 election, but he won it in November of 28, and in late December of 28, before he took office in March of 1829, Rachel Donaldson died of a heart attack. Oh, goodness. Wow. Before he even took office. Right. Uh, So she never got to be first lady. She never got to be first lady, and and Jackson always blamed the the Quincy Adams people for her earlier death. We don't know that that's the case, but he held a grudge. And when... Well, I I mean, I would too if somebody did that to someone I loved, Mm -hmm. especially if it weren't true. That's a pretty low blow, especially back then. You, You assume they have a little more privacy, a little more... No, it I was... I mean, it's like, it's almost like it is today. All bets are off. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It was, it was, it was very, very nasty. And Jackson uh, was not a man that gave up on uh, slights very easily. In fact, when he was a 13-year-old, he fought in the Revolutionary War and was struck by a British officer with a sword that cut his cheek. And it developed in him basically perpetual hatred for the British. Oh, that's yeah. understandable. Uh, and eventually he becomes president of the United States, but when he becomes president, he's a widower. And he never remarried. Never remarried. And um, he adopted, they never had children. Uh, he adopted a few uh, boys, including an Indian boy. American Indian. Right, American Indian. And uh, they are buried together uh, at the Hermitage. His estate in Nashville. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. We've both been there. Yeah, separately. (laughs) Separately, right. But uh, Jackson, uh, that was the love of his life. But it was tainted by this divorce that was not filed correctly. It it wasn't Rachel's fault. It wasn't Andrew Jackson's fault. It was somebody else's fault. It could possibly have been the ex-husband. Could have been. Could have been a lawyer's screw up. Maybe he could have been vengeful and decided Mm -hmm. to trick her. Who knows? Who knows? So... So moving right along. Moving right along with sensational marriages, we'll come to another president, Grover Cleveland. Ooh, these presidents. Now, we've already covered Grover Cleveland because of the 1888 election, which where he won the popular vote, but Benjamin Harrison won the, uh, in the Electoral College. Oh, that's right. But that's not uh, the subject matter we're going to deal with here. Uh, Grover Cleveland entered the White House in 1885, beating James Blaine in 1884 for the presidency, and he had never married. Uh, And he entered as a bachelor, but he married a woman named Frances Folsom. Now, what makes this all so interesting is that Frances Folsom was born in 1864. Uh, Cleveland was born in 1837. So there was a 27-, 28-year difference here. Wow, that beats us. Yes. We're we're only 23 years apart. Right. Well, what makes this all the more fascinating is he, he knew her mother, he was the lawyer for the family when oh, the so father died. Oh, so he was died. sort of a friend of the family. He bought the baby carriage for Frances Folsom when she was born in 1864. 
I wish you could see my face right now because it's like, oh, wow, that's creepy. <laughs> and so when he becomes president, she's uh, 20. He, he, she's still 19 when he becomes president or 20. But in 1886, while in the White House, he married Frances Folsom. He was 49. She was 21. Did they court? I mean... He actually asked her mother's permission to write to her as a kind of courting, uh, doing everything by the book. And I guess the mother approved. Yeah. This would have been a, a great match for her daughter on paper, at right. least. And so this 49-year-old president marries this 21-year-old uh, beauty, Frances Folsom. She's, and they actually got married in the White House. They actually got married in the White House. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. Now, did did the American people find that a little scandalous at the time? They didn't. Uh, they accepted it. There was uh, everything above board. It was just a little strange, but... Uh, and it worked out. They had a very good marriage. They had five children. Uh, she's the youngest first lady ever. She became first lady at the age of 21. She lived until 1948. Wow. Nice long life there. Yes. Uh, Grover Cleveland died in 19... Uh, she was, it was either 1947 or 1948 she died. And Grover Cleveland died in 1908. She did remarry a few years after his death. Uh, she is the first first lady to remarry after a president's uh, death. And uh, Jackie Kennedy is probably the most famous, oh, marrying sure, right. uh, you know, Onassis. But, uh, yes, it's... Uh, That's a little strange. Yes, If I do say so myself. Yeah, Frances Folsom. I mean, I don't want to be the pot calling the kettle black here, but... That's really odd that he bought her baby carriage. And ends up marrying her. He ends up marrying her. I mean, this is the stuff <laughs> movies are made of. Yeah, you see, once again, uh, truth is stranger than fiction. Wow. Well, the whole Cleveland family is kind of fascinating. The, yes. Yeah, so Cleveland, we, we've thought of doing an entire episode on the Cleveland family because they really are fascinating. And I've always admired Grover Cleveland. Uh, I think he was a very good man in many ways and a pretty good president. But moving on. Okay, moving right along to another sensational marriage. Oh, this might be the most sensational okay, of all. Okay, now how much time is going to pass here between Grover Cleveland and our next job? Well, we're talking about the 1930s, basically, right okay. now. And this oh, is, the 1930s. This is probably the most famous or perhaps infamous marriage of the so 20th right century. right when the war is starting to brew. Right, when things are beginning to... Uh, this is between the wars and... We're talking about here the Prince of Wales, whose first name was David. But when he became Edward the, and when he became king, he took the name Edward. So he became Edward the Eighth. Now, why couldn't he have kept his name? I never quite understood that. Uh, some uh, monarchs do keep their name. The present queen did. Others don't. Victoria did. Um, so is the choice theirs? Yep, the choice is theirs. And what's the benefit of changing their name to something? Uh, a lot of times they change their name because they are very they admiring to... of a previous and uh, monarch a number who had theirs? that name. I see. Because they, they admire So he chose monarch. that. Right, he chose that. And he uh, was a very dashing, handsome man. And uh, as Prince of Wales, he was very popular in Britain. His father, the king, was George V. His mother was Mary of Teck, uh, Queen Mary. Uh, He was the first of several children. And uh, Wallace Warfield Simpson would come into his life in 1931 when his father was still king. Now, Wallace Warfield Simpson was born in America. She was born in Blue Ridge Summit, Pennsylvania, which is on the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, wow, on so the Pennsylvania she was just side. an average right. 
Not somewhat average. She had a wealthy uncle. She uh, went to school in Baltimore. Uh, she was well educated. Um, she was the top of her class. She was known as being very bright, uh, very ambitious. Uh, she first married a U.S. aviator named uh, Spencer. She got divorced from him, and then she married a man named Simpson, who was in the Coldstream Guards, a British officer, uh, retired. And, oh, so uh, that's what took her over to Britain. Well, she she traveled all over the world. She had gone to China. Oh, my goodness. Uh, she was a world traveler. She made herself very accessible to the highest social circles. And since she was very gifted as a speaker and just very charming and such. She must have known other languages. Uh, I don't know if uh, Simpson, I, David spoke, uh, the Prince of Wales spoke German. I don't know. I think she spoke French or some French. Some, not, if right, you're traveling right. that much, you pick but something up. She uh, was introduced to the Prince of Wales uh, in 1931, and he fell, to use the cliche, head over heels with her. Wow, like I mean, love it was, at first sight kind of thing. It was, yeah, it was, it was love at first sight. In fact, some individuals thought that not only was he in love with her, he was actually possessed by her he just was infatuated with her and they developed a relationship Meanwhile, she's still married she's still married the king and queen are aghast at all of this this is the future king who's having an affair with a married woman who's having an affair with a married woman and george v actually on one occasion accidentally met wallace warfield simpson because she was brought to a particular uh, party or reception and uh he was very uh, displeased that he had to say hello to her but um, he did right but he did and when he died uh, george v in january of 36 uh, the Prince of Wales, David, became King Edward VIII. Oh, so he went through the whole inauguration? Well, no, he didn't. Coronation. Uh, uh, yeah, they don't inaugurate. I know. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, let me correct that. <laughs> Presidents are inaugurated. Kings are coronated. But it's the same concept. Well, he never was coronated. Uh, a lot of times the coronation... Oh, he wasn't. No, a lot of times the coronation, once a, uh, a British monarch became king, would uh, not take place for six months, nine months, a year later, whatever. Although he's officially king from day one, the coronation oftentimes takes so much time to set up. Oh, because there's a lot of planning. Involved. Right. So the coronation oftentimes does not occur right away. Oh, so we're in that middle period, kind of like here. You know, the election happens in November. The inauguration is until January. guess you could draw an analogy that way, yes. Well, just trying to make up <laughs> for my earlier faux pas. <laughs> and uh, so he is uh, he's having an affair with her, and he's king of, of the British Empire. I mean, he's the, he's the monarch. He's, emperor, uh, he's um, Not emperor. emperor of India. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, the first uh, monarch to become emperor was Victoria. She was made empress of India in the 1870s. Uh, the British Empire at this time covers about one out of every four acres of land on the face of the planet. My goodness, that's humongous. I mean, uh, it was... Uh, it was far-reaching. Yes. Although uh, by this time it was the British Commonwealth more than the British Empire, but... So I'm guessing at this point... The prime minister, all of the cabinet people—they're starting to panic a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, to here's the problem. We have to get rid of this woman. Here, here was here was the problem. Uh, as Edward the Eighth, as the British monarch, he was the head of the Anglican Church, and divorce was not allowed. And here he was going with a woman who was once divorced. Uh, he is with this woman who is still married 
to her second she's husband. She's even still married at this She's point. still married. She didn't get she didn't get her uh, divorce until later. And uh, were they living together? I mean, this is just they had so many they had many they had many rendezvous. I see. But, and and it was it was not a secret, clearly. Well, that is an interesting question in and of itself. It was not a secret in America. American newspapers were covering this, but there was a self-imposed silence about this in Britain. So, so your, the British people didn't really know this. The was average happening? Brit did not know about this. No, but that, how? Wow, I'm speechless. How could? Do you think the the monarchy just paid off everyone? No, I was just uh, it was just part of the code that uh, the British newspapers would not uh, publish this, would not talk about it, would not be on radio and the BBC, etc. But the Americans knew about it, and the King Edward VIII uh, said that he definitely was going to marry Wallace Warfield Simpson. She would eventually get a divorce from her second husband. Now, the prime minister at the time was Stanley Baldwin. He was in his third prime ministership from 1935 to 1937. And Baldwin knew, he was a pretty shrewd man, he knew right away that this wasn't going to work. No way, no. And the prime minister of Canada, the prime minister of Australia, and others in the British Commonwealth, all of them were united with Baldwin against the idea of the king marrying a twice, a about-to-be-twice-divorced woman. So this created a constitutional crisis. Interestingly enough, Winston Churchill supported the king. Oh, that is interesting. And the king thought that perhaps a way he could get around this was a morganatic marriage. A morganatic marriage had occasionally occurred uh, over the centuries whereby the woman would not be queen. She would just simply be married to the king in a kind of private way. But that didn't work. So Edward VIII... That didn't work maybe... Well, he, Edward VIII tried to run this past Baldwin, and Baldwin ran it past other prime ministers. Oh, and they're like, no, and they're like, no, no, no. Even, that, even that's not acceptable. Do you think her being an American had anything to do with that? Well, this reminds me of an observation made by Alistair Cook, who was a very erudite man, wrote many books, uh, was born British, became an American citizen. He said that the lower class and middle class in, in Britain didn't mind that she was an American. They minded that she was divorced. The upper class in Britain didn't mind that she was divorced. They minded that she was an American. <laughs> okay, that puts things into perspective. Um, but he was absolutely set upon marrying her. And in December of 1936, after just reigning some 10 and a half months, he abdicated. I wonder if he struggled with that decision. Or I don't think he did. It, I, it I think was he was very... Uh, either I get this my way or mm -hmm. I'm quitting. That's right. And he did. And in fact, the uh, evening before he abdicated, he uh, had a, uh, a dinner. Many people attended it. And it was his last night as the king. He might as his well last night as the king. And they said he was very comfortable. And uh, Now, I imagine his brother was a little peeved at him. His brother, Albert, known as Bertie, um, did not want to become king. He did not want to become king. It's the Duke of York. So he must have been in a panic at this point. Well, I don't know that uh, Albert was the kind that panicked, but he didn't want to be king. And he also had a speech defect, which the King's Speech deals with. Oh, it is a great Which film. is a great movie. Who's the actor who won the... Uh, I think he well, was... Jeffrey Rush, I think, won for Best Supporting Actor okay. as the Oh, teacher. as the teach as the uh, speech. And then Colin Firth. Uh, yeah, Colin Firth played, played. Uh, right, uh, Albert. Right. Now... Uh, Albert would take the name of George, so he'll become George the Sixth. 
So this younger brother who never wanted to be king ever is forced into a position to become king. And I just want to say here, I think he did an excellent job as British monarch. I mean, what a time to take over your empire your, your, right. in, Nin- in the middle of a war. And he was he, he was coronated in 19... He officially became king in December of 36. The coronation was in 1937. He would have two children by his wife, Elizabeth, the current uh, queen, and uh, Margaret, the younger. So let's get back to Wallace and... Well, what happened then was uh, she and he uh, remained distant from one another for many months uh, while the divorce... Why? He stepped down for her. The divorce with her second husband had to be finalized. Oh, so they she wanted doesn't to get it. She state. doesn't get the divorce from her second husband until 1937, early 37. And eventually in France in June of 1937, they are married. In and France. They're married in France. They live in France. Um, in 1937, the two of them actually went to Berchtesgaden to meet uh, Adolf Hitler. Oh, the Fuhrer. Now, this brings up another fascinating aspect about all this. The official reason why Edward could not marry Wallace Warfield Simpson was because she was a divorced woman. But there are many who felt that he had uh, pro-German sympathies pro-Nazi sympathies. He had made some statements that were contrary uh, to British interest. He had made statements in which he indicated he wasn't a big fan of democracy. And so there's there's a theory that what Baldwin, the prime minister, and others really knew about Edward VIII, and the main reason why they wanted to get rid of him was because of his pro-German sympathies. This is controversial to this this day. So I guess from that perspective, it was sort of convenient. It was convenient. It it, I mean, the official the, the official reason was he couldn't marry a divorced woman. But secretly, woman. he may have been a Nazi sympathizer. We don't know. Yeah. And Churchill, who originally supported him in his marriage efforts, eventually would turn against him once he's prime minister. So the, does he live the rest of his days in France? Does he ever come back to England? What happened was when the when France fell in six weeks in June of 1940, uh, by, the, by the end of June of 1940, uh, they had to flee to Spain. Then they fled to Portugal. Uh, Why didn't they just come to the United States? Well, I don't know that the United States would have necessarily have wanted that. But uh, because because of certain uh, pro-German sentiments that were suspected by many, and including by Churchill by this time, who was prime minister, they were actually put into polite exile. He became the governor general of the Bahamas during World War II. And once, which, which it was pretty quiet in the Bahamas during the war, wasn't it? It was British territory. It was very quiet. Uh, Wallace Warfield Simpson hated it. Oh. They uh-huh. were there for five years. Uh, it was kind of a polite exile because uh, there were suspicions that he had certain pro-German uh, sentiments. Uh, Hitler actually toyed around with getting rid of his younger brother, King George VI, and putting him back on the throne. There's well, there's well, so many stories told about this. It's hard to weed out what is the truth, what is myth, what is... So they stayed married. They stayed married to the end. Uh, he received the title Duke of Windsor. Okay. Once he abdicated as Edward VIII, his brother made him a duke. He was known so he as kept that title his whole life. Duke of Windsor, and she was made Duchess of Windsor. But this is important. He was referred to as His Royal Highness, and he wanted her to be referred to as Her Royal Highness. But George VI refused to extend that courtesy to her. So she was never uh, officially Her Royal Highness. She was only 
Duchess of Windsor. He was Duke of Windsor and his Royal Highness. And he resented that tremendously, as did Well, she. he's lucky he got that much. Well, that's one perspective. <laughs> <laughs> that's my point of view, anyway. He basically became, she, he and, uh, and, and, and Wallace basically became uh, part of the socialite elite uh, across the world. Even after that. Yeah. Well, because it was so scandalous, I'm sure everyone wanted to meet them, because who are these? Well, he, they had many sympathizers. Oh, he married, he, he gave up a throne for the woman he loved. Uh, that's not my perspective. A lot of people probably romanticize that. I think a lot of people do. I think he was highly selfish. My, myself, I think it was very selfish of him to place his own personal interests above the nation, above his above his nation. But that's my perspective. One need not share it. Well, um, no, this is this is the place for sharing opinions. That's for sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Okay, so does that wrap that up, or is there anything? Well, I just want to say that he died in 1972. She lived on until 1986, and it's very sad. She ended up uh, uh, suffering from dementia. She lost her capacity for speech. She died in France. There's some uh, there's some information to the effect that her lawyer named Bloom. She took very advantage of her and sold off many of her possessions for below market price. Eventually, though, she would be taken back to Britain when she died and, and laid to rest by her uh, husband. I, so they're buried together. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. But yeah. probably not in Westminster. Uh, no. Wow. So that that wraps that story up. Yeah. So what's next? Um, or should I say, who is next? Well, now we come to an American entertainer, Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, so we're going from the 30s to the 60s? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. was born in 1925. Okay. And um, his father was... In New was, York, right? Yeah, New York. Uh, black American. He was born in New York City. His father was uh, an entertainer. Sammy Davis Jr. had great musical talent. He became a singer and a dancer when he was like four years old. Wow, he started early. <laughs> he performed with his father and another man named Maston. And uh, so he, he was in show business almost from the get-go. He was almost born into it. Right. And uh, he would serve as a soldier in World War II from 1943 to 1945. Oh, so he was either drafted or joined. Right. Or... And he was... And what, a... what branch? Uh, he was in the Army. He was in the Army. Okay. And because he was black, he was subjected oftentimes to uh, racial slurs. So in World War II, they, they weren't segregated, were they? They were segregated. It wouldn't be until uh, Truman was president in the late 1940s that the um, armed forces were integrated. I see. There were special. Uh, so black even though units. he was separated, yeah, right? They still had to come in contact harassed. with each other, right? And he did get arrested. And yeah, it was unfortunate to put it mildly. And then the war ends, and he uh, goes back into the entertainment business. In 1954, Sammy Davis Jr. was in a very serious car accident, and he lost an eye because of that. And then, over the course of the 50s into the early 60s. He did a lot of reading. Uh, I think the accident caused him to reflect upon life in general in a way a major accident can can do. Which can do, sure. And eventually, in 1961, he converted to Judaism. Really? Yes, which leads to this joke he told Jack Benny. They were playing golf, and uh, and Jack Benny asked him about a handicap, and Sammy Davis Jr. said, You want to know a handicap? I'm a black Jew with one eye. That's a handicap. <laughs> Put it that way. Wow. So well, at this point, we don't. Is he in New York? He's he's in L.A. He's all over the he's place. And 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 by this time, he's but he's part, still in entertainment. Yes, and he's part of the Rat Pack. Before he converted, I wonder. Oh, uh, yep. 
in the late 1950s. And so the Rat Pack really started with uh, Lauren Bacall and Huffy Bogart at their home with people like Frank Sinatra, Spencer Tracy. Yeah, because Lauren Bacall supposedly looked at them uh, after a night of drinking and and she said, you look like like a pack of rats. And so the name stuck and Eventually, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, uh, Peter Lawford, who was uh, JFK's brother-in-law, Sammy Davis Jr., Joey Bishop, uh, you know, they, they were all part of the Rat Pack. And and their main place— It's amazing that they accepted him into their circles. They did. They accepted—Joey uh, Bishop was Jewish, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was black. Was Jewish. And Jen Jewish, <laughs> eventually. Um, and they didn't care. They just liked each other. And it uh, didn't I make any that. difference to them. And Well, and, they were all great entertainers. They were all great entertainers. In fact, they did a movie together, Ocean's Eleven. Well, didn't they also do Robin and the Seven Hoods? Uh, yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. They yeah. did a couple, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Sammy Davis Jr. in 1960 married a white woman, a Swedish. Uh, she was born in Sweden, May Britt. And, you know, today... So this is like the early 60s. This is 1960. Oh, okay. And, and in 1960... You have to keep in mind, that, especially to young listeners, whites and blacks just didn't marry one another. That was Well, it was outlawed in many states, it, wasn't it? About half of the states, it, it was actually against the law to, for, to have intermarriage or even to have sexual relations of any kind. Oh. Right. And we're talking the era of Jim Crow. We're talking about significant racial discrimination here. And he marries this Swedish actress. She started in uh, Europe. She eventually made her way to Hollywood. And so I'm uh, sure she's stunning. There was, yeah, she was beautiful. She's still living, by the way. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I think she's in her late eighties, eighty-seven Good or something like that. And um, so they get married. Mm-hmm. How does everyone react to that? Uh, well, I'm sure it was it was headlined to the credit news. of the Rat Pack, uh, like Frank Sinatra. They stood by Sammy Davis Jr. at a time when black man marrying a white woman carried a lot of danger with it. And that takes me to uh, JFK, because Sammy Davis Jr. was supposed to uh, perform at the inauguration, but JFK canceled that uh, because he was married to a white woman, and JFK concluded that this... That would be cr- way it, too controversial. It would be too controversial, and uh, we have that on the authority of Nancy Sinatra. We have that on the authority of uh, the child that Sammy Davis Jr. and Mae Britt had, Tracy, and others. Wow. So, yeah. so and, things started to right. affect him because he did this. At a very high level. Oh, he got he got death threats. He got all kinds of hate mail. Uh, so did she. So uh, it's not like they could just live their life in peace and no. go their own way, no. have their own family. No, no. And uh, is it because he was such a public figure? You think? Oh yeah, Every, I mean, Sammy Davis Jr. was a very public figure. He performed on Broadway. Uh, he performed in uh, Las Vegas, and uh, he was the subject of a Dean Martin roast. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, and I just think he was a very likable man in many ways. He supported Kennedy in the 1960 election, but by 1972, he became a supporter of Richard Nixon. For, well, that's understandable. When somebody rejects you because of... Well, he was criticized for supporting a Republican because he was black, but he did. Uh, but Sammy Davis Jr. was a tough guy, and he did what he thought was right. And he would eventually die in 1990 of throat cancer. He was a smoker. Oh, that's sad. And, um, but but they, they stayed married for a while, right? Oh, uh, yeah. They, they, got di- they were married, I think, for eight years. I think they got divorced in 1968, and Sammy Davis Jr. married for a third time. And we, he remained married 
to his third wife until his death. Uh, That's just such a different time than now. I, yeah, mean, I remember I remember as a boy knowing about this, and it was like a big scandal. You know, this black man has married this white woman, and all oh, this is awful. And, Plus you're and in the so 60s. On. But to the credit of people like Sinatra, they stood by Sammy Davis Jr. Wow, so he... Uh... He got harassed in the army. He got probably harassed because he was Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> he got harassed because he married a white woman. Yeah. I mean, this guy, wow, he, he went through a lot in his he, lifetime. Yeah, right. And what an entertainer. Yeah, he had first class talent. Oh, my gosh. His music is really amazing. Yeah. Nobody could scat like Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, he really, he was top of the game. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And part of the Rat Pack. <laughs> oh, the Rat Pack. Yeah. That's almost an episode right there. Yeah. Well, okay. do we have time for one more? I think we could squeeze it in. All right. Very quickly, we're going to go to something obscure. The last Confederate widow to receive a pension and to have an offspring from a Confederate uh, veteran. Uh, this is Al- Alberta Martin. Where Where is this happening? She was born in Alabama. As far as I know, she lived her entire life in Alabama. Okay. Uh, she was so born. We're in the South. She was born in 1906. She would die in 2004 at the Wait, age. Wait, so she was born in 1906. Right. Okay, I'm right. just trying to put time-wise put right. this together. The Civil Her, War ended when? Uh, 1865. Okay. And she married a man who was born in 1845. So when she married him in uh, 1927, he was 81 and she was 21. And she had previously been married and had a son. So this was her second marriage. Oh. And uh, so she married this Confederate veteran who had fought in the 4th Alabama Infantry. uh, And he sired a child by her. Oh, my God. I think it can't get any creepier. (laughs) When he was 82... Uh, this couple. I mean, good for him. Good I for mean, him. I, I guess he didn't need Viagra. Well, wasn't even around then. <laughs> yes. Wow. Right. So, uh, okay. And, and well, then so he, they had a child. They had a child. He eventually died in 1931, and she ended up marrying his grandson from a previous marriage. Wait a minute. They so, had a child named Willie, and then she ended up marrying his grandson Charlie from a previous marriage before he had married her. So the, okay. And then she goes into obscurity until the 1990s. Meanwhile, is she, is she drawing a pension from the Well, from no, she's not because that stopped. Would it be a state pension? But when she, it would be, yes, yeah, state pension. So when it came to the attention of a lot of people, like societies that dealt with Confederate war veterans and so on, uh, the state of Alabama decided that, she deserved a pension. They gave her back pay. She became a notoriety in the 1990s. So it was it was generally that was the case. Widows in that in the state of Alabama and other did states get too. I mean, Arkansas stopped paying uh, a Confederate pension. No, no, it wouldn't have been a federal pension because the South lost the war. Right. It had to be a state pension. Union veterans would be a federal pension, but for Confederate, it would it have would to be have been to the right, Alabama. So other widows were getting pensions. They, like in Arkansas, they stopped that in 1937. But in Alabama, they didn't think that anyone was left. Oh, so they just cut it off thinking. Right. And then, but, but in the 1990s, it gone. came to the attention that she was, my gosh, this, this woman was still living and she had married a Confederate veteran. So the state of Alabama gave her not only a pension, but they paid the back pay. I can't imagine. With interest, I wonder? Uh, I, I don't know if it came with interest. <laughs> but still. 
And uh, she became, she went to uh, reenactment events and she became something of a celebrity and she died in uh, 2004 at the age of 97. So did she stay married to the grandson of her first husband? Uh, he eventually passed away. She outlived them all. She Wow, she was of some sturdy stock there. Oh, yeah. She was 97 when she died. Did she have children by the grandson, do we know? That I don't know. We're not know. sure. I well, she at least know. had the one child. Right. By the old guy. Right. So I wonder, I'm just trying to get in the, into this. What is the motivation that she had? Was it because she thought she might get a lifetime pension? If she married, no. I, the main, I think, the main reason she married was because she needed protection for her son from her previous marriage because her, her first husband died, and she just wanted security. And this guy was ready to marry her, and uh, she did. And she was twenty-one, and he was eighty-one, and uh, they had a kid. <laughs> wow. And we say the best for last. By the way, there's uh, information to the effect that there are, I think, a woman named Maudie Hopkins in Arkansas. She died in 08. She may have been an actual last Confederate widow, but Alberta was the last one to have a child by a Confederate veteran and to, and to receive a pension. a pension. Oh, Alberta. Yeah. She was. She, she lived to an advanced old age. and Man, and, I would have loved to have sat down and had a talk with her. I bet she has some I, stories. I think she lived in Alabama all her life. What a fascinating woman. Well, there you go, from uh, Justinian and Theodora to Alberta. Yeah, we sure we sure With a lot the in between. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, so that wraps it up then for episode nine. And for episode 10, holy smokes, we're all the way up to episode 10 already, which is very exciting. Uh, we're not 100% sure what we're doing. We were so fascinated by the Cleveland family because... Yeah, the, there's a lot of interesting yeah, the, things. The five children that uh, Francis Folsom and Grover Cleveland had, in, in and of themselves, that makes for a, a story. It might make for a podcast. Yeah, so we're thinking maybe we're the next yeah. one will be about the Cleveland family, but right. don't hold us to us. Yeah, don't like, hold to us. Don't hold right. us to it. Right. There you, you got go. It. There you go. Okay. So thank you for listening. We so appreciate uh, all of our loyal fans out there. It's been a short time, but we've had some really lovely feedback and we so appreciate it and we appreciate you and we will see you next week yes goodbye folks well friends here we are at the end of the podcast be sure to check out the links in the show description to find some of the resources we used for this episode also if you've enjoyed listening please head over to apple Podcasts and give us a virtual high five by leaving us a five-star review we'd really appreciate that and if you'd like to connect with us directly, you can find us at historicallyspeakingpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at historicallyspeakingpodcast. That's it for today. And again, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. And remember, if you want to know what the future holds, study the past. <laughs> <laughs>